0: Joshua 11. Now when Jabin, the king of Hatzor, heard of it, he sent to Jobab, the king of Madon, to the king of Shimron, to the king of Akshaph, and to the kings who were on the north, in the hill country, in the Arabah, south of Chinneroth, in the lowland, and in the heights of Dor, on the west, to the Canaanite, on the east, and on the west, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, in the hill country, and the Hivite, under Hermon, in the land of Mizpah. They went out, they and all their armies with them, many people, even as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude, with very many horses and chariots. All of these kings met together, and they came and encamped together at the waters of Merom to fight Israel. Now Yahweh said to Joshua, Don't be afraid because of them, for tomorrow at this time I will deliver them all up slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua came suddenly with all the warriors against them by the waters of Merom, and attacked them. Yahweh delivered them into the hand of Israel and they struck them and chased them to Sidon and to Misrephoth Maim, and to the valley of Mizpah eastward. They struck them until they left no one remaining Joshua did to them as Yahweh told him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. Joshua turned back at that time and took Hutsor and struck its king with the sword, for Hutzor used to be the head of all those kingdoms. They struck all the souls who were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was no one left who breathed. He burned Hutsor with fire. Joshua captured all the cities of those kings with their kings, And he struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of Yahweh, commanded. But as for the cities that stood on their mounds, Israel burned none of them except Hatzor only. Joshua burned that. The children of Israel took all the plunder of these cities with the livestock as plunder for themselves. But every man they struck with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, they didn't leave any who breathed. As Yahweh commanded Moses, his servant... So Moses commanded Joshua. Joshua did so. He left nothing undone of all that Yahweh commanded Moses. So Joshua captured all that land, the hill country, all the south, all the land of Goshen, the lowland, the Arabah, the hill country of Israel and the lowland of the same. From Mount Halak that goes up to Seir, even to Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon under Mount Hermon. He took all their kings, struck them and put them to death. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. They took all in battle. For it was of Yahweh to harden their hearts to come against Israel in battle that he might utterly destroy them, that they might have no favor, but that he might destroy them as Yahweh commanded Moses. Joshua came at that time and cut off from the Anakim From the hill country, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel, Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. There were none of the Anakim left in the land of the children of Israel. Only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod did some remain. So Joshua took the whole land, according to all that Yahweh spoke to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by the tribes. And then the land had rest from war. So in the last chapter, chapter 10, we describe the Battle of Gibeon, and that was a battle where there was an, a southern alliance. So the land of Israel, it's you know long and thin, and when they first came in from the east, uh, yeah, from the east, and they crossed the Jordan, they attacked kind of in the middle-ish, but slightly to the lower, They destroyed Jericho, and then Ai, and then the battle at Gibeon. But at Gibeon, this alliance of all these southern kings came together and attacked Joshua, and that really helped. So Joshua, you know, destroyed them in battle, but then he went around taking their cities one by one by one by one and ended up conquering this whole area in general. But now this chapter describes a battle with the northern alliance. So Hatzor, which is spelt H-A-Z-O-R, but it's pronounced like H A T S O R, Hatzor, in the north, was the, one of the greatest cities. And this king, King J- or Jabin, he um, sent word and rounded up help from all these other kings. And they're at a place called Merom, which is about 10 or 12 kilometers north of the Sea of Galilee, you know, where Jesus used to be. And that's where they were camped, this gigantic army. But the Lord said to Joshua, don't be afraid, tomorrow they'll all be slain. So it helps a lot when you have these giant big battles if you win them, because you defeat a lot of things at once. And even so, the Bible says that it was a lot, that he was fighting a long time with all these kings. So even though he had this one great battle, he still had the process of going around and then going to their cities and taking the cities one by one by one. It's just it was easier because the fighting men were, were not there. So Hatsor, King Jabin of Hatsor, um, there's a story in the book of Judges about Jabin, King of Hatsor, but it's a story that happens like 200 years later. And so some people got really confused and they said, well, is the Bible confused? Are they confusing Jabin? from then to Jabin from now and is, the truth of it is, if you knew your Bible, uh, that these are two completely separate stories. Jabin is not the name of the king, it's the title of the king. So you know how in Egypt, Pharaoh is not the name. So for example, the Pharaoh at the time of the Exodus is probably Thutmose III. A lot of people think it's Ramses II and I know when I did the earlier Bible videos, I had suggested some different people as possibilities um, so there's different theories about who was the Pharaoh but I, I'm leading to Totmos III. but you see that's his name but it's but in the Bible it never says his name it just says Pharaoh king of Egypt but we know Pharaoh isn't the isn't the name well here it's saying Jabin king of Hatsor and Jabin is the title and so later on in judges there's this Jabin king of Hatsor different Jabin so um, There's this guy Jabin, he gathers everyone together, there's a northern alliance and they attack. It says that Joshua came suddenly. Now that one little phrase, that's once again the same thing we've seen several times before where Joshua will march through the night with his soldiers or he'll sneak up and attack by surprise. Joshua loved to do this type of thing and I think the Lord told him what to do. So they did. And so now Joshua attacks, they destroy them, they hamstrung all the horses, They get rid of everything, and the Bible says at the end of that chapter that the land had rest. So that's a really, really wonderful thing. In other words, they broke the back of the enemy's resistance. So what they've got now is they've now got to the point where they've defeated the enemy in the land at the end of chapter 11, but it doesn't mean that they had gotten rid of every enemy in the land because we're gonna find out in the chapters ahead that that was not the case. So you imagine like in, um, in, you know, say the end of World War II, you've got the Allies sweeping across the Pacific, they're sinking Japanese ships, they drop those atomic bombs, Japan gives the word of surrender, so now they've broken the back, now they've got peace. But it doesn't mean that there aren't still Japanese people all through those islands that are antagonistic towards the Allies, because they all would have been. And it doesn't mean that there's, there's not even some that don't even know the war is over and they're still fighting. So that's what we've got here in Canaan. We've got the fact that there's now rest. They've broken the back of the resistance. They've conquered all the major cities, but the land is still full of people in various places that don't like them. There's people that still have their own gods, their own religion, their own cultures. They still do things that don't please the Lord things that the Lord wanted removed out of the land, all of that's still there. It's just, it's obviously a lot less than what it was. There's no active resistance against them, but there are still cities that are held out. In other words, there, a lot of these cities were individually governed. You know, like here in, um, in Australia, you know, we've got one government, the government of Australia. Now, every city has its own mayor, but, but we, we all belong to one federation was here in Canaan, each city was its own country, so to speak. Each city completely controlled itself, and they only gathered together to form these alliances because the threat of the invading army was so great, they wanted to work together, but normally they didn't. So after the defeat of these alliances, you've still got little places, pockets, like towns, cities, and villages, which are still individually governed. They're still in charge of themselves, and they're still not surrendered. But they're not going to go and attack Israel. They know that if they attack, they'll get destroyed. So they're not sticking their head up and saying, hey, here I am. But at the same time, there these pockets all over the place. And in, um, so that's what we're going to... We'll discuss that more in the chapters ahead. But there's a very, very interesting quote from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8 in the New Testament. And uh, this is what the writer to the book of Hebrews says. He says, if Joshua had given them rest... The Lord would not have spoken later about another day. So in the Psalms, the Lord says that, you know, he would bring his people into rest. But, if, but here in Joshua, of course, it says that the land had rest, but they weren't actually talking about the same thing. If Joshua had brought them into rest, then there wouldn't be a need to talk about it again. There wouldn't be a need to give a promise of saying it's still going to be a thing. And we find this thing all the way through, the, this type of thing all the way through the Bible, where the Lord, He thinks at a completely different level to us. So we think about rest at, at the basic level of, oh, the battle is over. Thank God. Now I can have a rest. That's the level of our thinking. But the Lord's thinking is, though, that's not the real battle. The real bat- battle isn't just with some enemies in a land. Now, the real battle is with sin. The real battle is with the struggle for your souls and, and for the, the truth of God and, and, and that you need to have the love for God in your heart and, and that the world is corrupted by the schemes of the evil one. And, and the Lord knew he had to send a redeemer, Jesus Christ. There was a rest that hadn't happened yet and the Lord was promising that he was gonna bring his people into rest. The Lord's always thinking of something much more real. We think the physical thing is real and we think the other thing is metaphorical, but for God, it's always the other way. The real thing is always the deeper thing that you, you need a physical thing to kind of like explain it. Without the physical thing, we'd never get it. But the other thing is the much more real thing. So there's a real rest that God has intended. And if we're saved, we come into the rest, but we haven't come into it fully until we're eternally with him and eternally removed from, from all that is around us. So there is a rest that's been promised. It's been promised. The book, the writer of Hebrews talks about it. And that's why even the Sabbath, you know, the seventh day, the day of rest, it's even that is a picture of Jesus who is our rest. When we come into salvation and we're no longer working for our salvation, now we've found our rest, our place in him. So all these things are wonderful illustrations to help us. So what I guess we can take out of this chapter is that You know, um, there's a place of rest for us, and the Lord gives us our rest, but at times we have to also work and we also have to fight. And uh, rest on its own isn't meaningful without the fight anyway. And so as a Christian, the Lord is bringing you into rest, but you also need to fight. There are things in your life that are no good, things that the Lord wants to remove, and the Lord will give you strategies, and you work, and he'll help you remove them, and all the while, while you're working, you should be at rest at the same time because the Lord is working for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all these things. I thank you that that even these military stories, Lord, they hold truth for us. I thank you, Lord, that that we have examples to learn from. And I pray that you'd bring us into rest. Help us help our trust and our love for the Lord to increase, but at the same time, help our strength. Lord, strengthen us in righteousness. Strengthen us in overcoming the schemes of the evil one. Lord, bring us into our full inheritance, I pray, just like you brought the Israelites into their inheritance. In Jesus' name, amen.